Welcome to Counterintelligence. This is Eric LeVay. Today's guest is Crispin Burke. Thank you to Patreons Dana Berry, Andre Dunka, William Healy, Angela Jackson, Zacharias Zskor Kaminsky, Sasha Millstone, Craig Pierce, and Greg Schneider. This is Eric LeVay, and this is Counterintelligence. Crispin Burke, welcome to Counterintelligence. Hi, thanks for having me. Hey, it's great to have you, Crispin. Uh, how are you today? Oh, doing great. Well, great. Um, it's a wonderful, beautiful day here in our nation's capital. <laughs> oh, okay. You know, it's funny. Uh, all this time we've been communicating, I actually didn't know where you lived. <laughs> so that's good to know. Okay, yes. I'm, I'm right here in uh, Washington, D.C., uh, not far from where all the action is all the time, it seems. And Chrisman, I want to thank you. You're, uh, I've been doing this show quite a while, and you're the first person to actually pitch me an idea on the show, uh, which was a great idea about, <laughs> yeah, really, hey, my attitude is whatever takes the, <laughs> hey, you know, we all uh, have a little bit of a lazy streak in us, you know? And, uh, yes, that's true. Uh, I'll and you, in some way. Yeah, so you pitched me an idea about the history of WikiLeaks. Yeah. Uh, uh, and actually, Chrisman, you know, Maybe uh, before we get started, could you just tell everyone a little bit about who you are and your, your background? Uh, yeah, so I, I am an employee within the U.S. government. I, I, I'll, I'll say that right now. Mm. Um, <laughs> um, so, I, there, so I do have to have some very guarded uh, comments on WikiLeaks. I, mm. I can't specifically comment on anything that is related to uh, a government source or, or the classified information. So right. um, I need to put that disclaimer up front. Uh, but I'm also... Uh, I would say a lifelong internet user because I kind of predate the internet a little bit, but I've been really kind of steeped in internet culture my entire life. Mm. Um, I read a lot about cybersecurity, about the what we'll call the fake news epidemic, and I've been following the WikiLeaks uh, story very closely since probably at least uh, 2010, and maybe even a little bit before that. So, and WikiLeaks is a name that, that is uh, been in the news quite a bit recently, especially obviously we all heard of its uh, involvement in the 2016 election mm. and most recent developments with the arrest of Julian Assange and, and the, the ongoing saga that will possibly result in his extradition back to the United States. So um, let's let's go ahead and get started. Uh, why, Chrisman, why was WikiLeaks founded in the very beginning? Can you give us just a little backstory? Um, so it, it's interesting is that the concept behind WikiLeaks is not exactly new. Uh, so think about this. Uh, in fact, I'm going to go back a couple hundred years. Okay. I swear this is a very short story, but I'll, I'll go back a couple hundred <laughs> years. Did you ever hear the story of Doctor Faust, or did you ever have to read that in school? I, I'm 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 remembering it. I, I wish I could say that I'm an expert on it, but yes. So, uh, so so Faust makes a deal with the devil, right? And there are a couple of different retellings of the story uh, over the years. However, one retelling of the story was Faust's deal with the devil is this: Faust gets access to all the information in the world. Right, he has all the knowledge in the world. Like that, that makes him a very powerful man. Mm. He gets it for a period. In some times in the story, it's twenty-four years. I don't know why the devil picked twenty-four years, but that's why the devil picked it. <laughs> and then after that, the devil takes his soul. Okay, mm. that is. And what does he do with this knowledge? Um, he ends up squandering it. Uh, he uses it to play practical jokes. He, he um, in some versions, he uses it to seduce women. I, I mean, he doesn't use it for its intended purpose, which is to either give him power or, or to do something or create something. Mm. And I think that that is such a metaphor for the Internet. Huh. Interesting. Think, think about this. Uh, the World Wide Web has been around almost the same amount of time, 24 years, right? So, in theory, we would have access to all the information in the world, right? Uh, it would, given all that information, you would think that maybe we could cure cancer, right? Mm. But in the past 24 years, what have we done with this information? We haven't cured cancer. Instead, measles have come back. Oh, man. I mean, I mean, 
I mean, think, think of what we've done with all this information. It, we, we had a very utopian view of the Internet uh, many, many years ago. In fact, mm. if you go on YouTube, there's an interesting uh, Canadian Broadcast Corporation special about what is Internet. Not the Internet, but what is Internet. And you have a lot of uh, comments that seem funny in retrospect. Uh, so one person talks about online discussions mm. back in the, like, the late 80s or early 90s. And he said something about, you know, discussion is very civil on this Internet thing. Nobody's screaming at each other or typing go to hell. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> <That was so awful. laughs> Twitter had not been invented. <laughs> and as people gave their, their opinions on the inter- of what they thought Internet would provide, you know, people thought it would knock down borders, etc. And then one person, you know, talked about his interest and he said, it allows me to indulge my passion for old mm. things, Ty. And I'm like, Wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. So, so it's a little odd what we use this internet for, but um, I, I, again, I think it's, it's kind of the Faustian thing. Uh, you know, with, similar sites had existed since the 1990s, uh, and an early one was known as Cryptom. Mm. And Cryptom was actually kind of the people who were involved in Cryptom um, saw their website as a way where people could go and publish documents uh, that were either sensitive and people could either work through them and they could be ex- those documents could later be made accessible to the public. It was seeing itself as a journalism outlet. Mm-hmm. And many of those involved in crypto met up with Julian Assange, uh, who um, was born in 1971. He had kind of a troubled youth. Um, he was very, his parents uh, did some kind of like acting and performing and they moved around Australia quite often. And mm-hmm. that's possibly why he moves, sees nothing wrong with moving around uh the world as often as he does, uh, he got into kind of the hacker scene. He, he seemed to have a talent for it, uh, was arrested um, sometime in the 1990s for some computer-related crimes, uh, but was not given a very harsh sentence. Mm. Um, he teams up with the people from Cryptome, and they eventually found what is called what we now call WikiLeaks. Um, mm. And the concept behind it was people would go to WikiLeaks, they could post-classified documents, and sort of like what you would with Wikipedia, people could annotate things or mark certain documents for, um, you know, these are more important than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was supposed to be kind of a collaborative journalism outlet where people could uh, blow whistles on sensitive subjects. Mm-hmm. And early on, they had some uh, interesting successes. Uh, you know, the Church of Scientology, and I have to be very, very careful before I, I say anything else, because I know they have a lot of lawyers, and they... <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. it, it, it's safe to say that the, the Church of Scientology is not exactly a very transparent organization. Can we say that? I live right. We I, I actually live right down the street from the uh, what's called the Celebrity Center. And yeah, you're, you're very, a, yeah. Are you? I'm not going to piss you off. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, and uh, no, they're they're a visible. I mean, I could do a whole another show on some of that stuff. No, no. So go ahead, say <laughs> what you're going to say. Um, oh yes, but um, you know, like most religions. Uh, you know, if somebody wanted to know something about Christianity, you go, you can pick up a Bible, you can read about Christianity. It's, mm. it's a long book, but, but but it's all out there. It's been out there for thousands of years. Mm. If you want to know about Scientology, all those documents are, you know, you know behind closed doors. You can't access them until you're... You're wealthy. You have to pay whatever, for it. Whatever, whatever, whatever level of Scientology... O- OT3. <laughs> yeah, or, or whatever. <laughs> um, but, but they'd only come to... After, um, you know, extensive devotion to, to, to your bank the, to your bank account being drained. I'll say it. Don't worry. You don't have to say it. Yeah. <laughs> right. And um, although WikiLeaks not involved in what was called the Project Chanology, which was a, a number of un, um, 
leaks which were uh, perpetrated by anonymous mm. they did publish some uh documents which were part of the church of scientology and you know i i have no issue with uh you know, bringing a little bit of transparency there um, right and that's, that's about as far as I'm going to go before the lawyers uh, just start knocking on my door. <laughs> no, no. That... If, I, if, I say, if I say anything more, Josh Bolt is going to come by here and say, <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, all the, you know, in the, um, not to get too much off on that, but they, uh, you know, back, back when uh, the earliest critics of Scientology were harshly uh, dealt with, but it's been so, they're, Basically, long story short, now because it's all out there, it's much different than it used to be. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but the first one, who I, she was a journalist, really. I mean, it was some de- just reprehensible stuff that they did to her. So that's just me, oh, yeah. um, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so they okay, great. So that was one of their, I guess, early scoops: the Scientology story uh, or yeah. documents. Um, yeah, they had they had a number of scoops about Scientology. Mm. Uh, they published some documents associated with uh, some uh, businesses in Kenya that were kind of corrupt. And so, you know, they're really kind of keeping true to the form of let's take on either governments which are corrupt or organizations which uh, they viewed as uh, corrupt or had secrets which were worth spilling. Um, however, um, and, uh, you know, they, they gained a lot of notoriety. Mm. Uh, now, to, to really kind of understand the, the story of WikiLeaks, you have to understand the, uh, the personalities, of, obviously, of Julian Assange. Uh, mm-hmm. We talked about earlier. He, he had kind of a troubled youth, traveled about a lot, uh, got involved in this document-dumping website. Uh, he had some writing early on. Um, some people believe, you know, very firmly in the, t- in the concept of transparency because it, it holds people accountable because they believe in honesty, uh, fair government, and things like that. Obviously, you know, in perhaps our system of government, you protect the privacy of the little people, but you want government to be as transparent and open to the American public as possible while still preserving your freedoms. And, you know, obviously the freedom versus security is the, the, the debate that we always uh, have uh, throughout our society. But you want your government to be as transparent as possible so that you can participate in so that you can understand what's going on. Um, secret, secrecy uh, should be for the people, not necessarily for the government, if, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Julian Assange is more has more of an anarchist view of secrets. He just wants to tear everything down, I think. Uh, and that was kind of his uh, earlier uh, writings. I mean, he's a, he's a very, very complicated person. Uh, there are people who think that he, he is a terrorist, um, mm. which has been called a foreign intelligence agency. Um, other people believe that WikiLeaks is a whistleblowing uh, agency. And, you know, WikiLeaks has its fair share of fans. I mean, yeah. it's just... Uh, Think of, think of some of its celebrity supporters. I, I can think of no stranger uh, celebrity supporter than Pamela Anderson. <laughs> but she, goes, she, she visited Julian Assange in the Ecuadorian embassy all the time. I'm like, yeah. you know, if anyone understands how humiliating it is to have secrets dumped all over the entire Internet, it is Pamela Anderson. Wow, you know, I mean, I really never thought about that, but that's, I got to say, that's a really great <laughs> point. You're right. Well, you know, and I, it's, it's, yeah, no, go ahead. What are you going to say? I mean, I mean, it, it, it's just the strangest couple—a guy who leaks secrets for, for a living, and a, and a woman who has had her secrets leaked, uh, and she's probably made some money off of that. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it, it's truly, yeah. I mean, and I, I, I don't know. People, especially with celebrities, and Assange is a celebrity. Uh, not, I mean, he's not a Hollywood guy, but there's often this. I don't know. They they see things in each other. I've, and a lot of it comes from people like. Uh, they're just not very informed and my own yeah. feelings about WikiLeaks aside that she just, I don't, 
well, whatever. It's not really relevant, but that's an interesting point you made uh, mm-hmm. about her. Oh, yes. Um, however, th- there are some uh, legitimate people that had uh, an interest in WikiLeaks. One of them was a man named Daniel Domscheit-Berg, mm-hmm. who was often known uh, by a pseudonym, Daniel Schmidt. Um, and, and it's kind of a trivia. Uh, when he was speaking to the media as Daniel Schmidt, Schmidt was the name of his cat. Okay, um, so he, so this was like the Schmidt the cat was the most notorious cat in the entire world at some point, believe it or not. <laughs> Next, um, nice. But Daniel Domscheit-Berg had kind of a different. Uh, he he kind of has a more noble view of transparency. He really saw WikiLeaks as kind of a journalistic outlet, uh, where. And I think there may have been a bit of naivety in there as well, where he would look at these massive document dumps. Uh, you know, for instance, it, it, the ones that have been perpetrated in the United States are, you know, obviously in the, the tens or if not hundreds of thousands of, of documents. Sure. Uh, and he had somewhat of this naive view of, you know, if a person wanted to know something about a subject, they would kind of dispassionately sit down and read tens upon tens of thousands of documents. And that, that really has not been the case. I mean, nobody's going to do that. No. Um, one of people really have one or two reactions uh, to WikiLeaks. Uh, first is a sense of, of kind of like confirmation bias, right? If there's an organization that you think is sinister and they have secrets and those secrets are put out on the internet, you automatically assume that that is dirty laundry or, or sinister information, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, people are, a lot of people are predisposed against the U.S. military. Um, and so, therefore, if the U.S. military has classified information, that must be evidence of wrongdoing or uh, the State Department or if you look at the DNC leaks, uh, the, the Podesta. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the, there, there is that attitude. The other is that people may not read these documents for themselves, but they're going to read the reporting about these documents, um, and then they may be led to very strange conclusions. Uh, again, going back to Dan Domscheitberg's example, he thought people were going to sit down and dispassionately read you know, tens of thousands of documents and come to a very rational conclusion. What rational person sat down, <laughs> read the Podesta emails, and came to the conclusion that there are child sex slaves in the bottom of a pizza plate? Nobody. Yeah. It's the craziest thing. Uh, but, uh, I mean, you know, you have these conspiracy theorists who, and I, I don't exactly get the entire leap of logic that they went through, but they just took passages. They saw a reference to a pizza place and somehow assumed that there are, are, are sex slaves in the basement of a pizza place. And, you know, what I'd like to highlight, and when you were uh, talking to me about this story uh, before, was that it was almost like a sort of a, a Shakespearean story of, of, of two men. And, and with, like you said, one who's uh, much more on the, we'll say the phrase, anarchist side, and then the other one you just described, who seemed to have a more idealistic view. Is Am I more or less right about that? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, I think Daniel Amsheitberg had a more idealistic view uh, of, of what WikiLeaks should have been. Yeah. And strangely enough, Around 2010, there was actually almost an attempted coup within WikiLeaks. Uh, so getting back to the character of Julian Assange, he has, for lack of a better term, some ego and narcissism problems. Uh, and that's <laughs> kind of putting it mildly. Uh, Daniel Davitschek-Berg brought this up, and one of his observations was, while the two were kind of being the public faces of WikiLeaks, Julian Assange was very adamant that he would get Fifty-two percent, at least fifty-two percent of the press, while Dom Berg would get no more than forty percent of the press. Wait, are you uh, are you serious? He actually yeah, said that. It, um, so the, yeah. So, um, <laughs> or, I, don't, I don't know if Julian Assange specifically said that, but if, if you want a reference, it is in Daniel Dom Daniel Dom uh, book called uh, Inside WikiLeaks, which is that's a very that's Hollywood right there. I'll tell you. 
Oh, it, it really is. Um, it was actually made into a movie. I can't. I believe this one was called The Fifth Estate with Benedict Cumberbatch as Julian Assange. Mm. Benedict Cumberbatch is amazing. The, 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 the amazing characters that he has portrayed. He did a very uh, convincing Julian Assange. No kidding. So from um, the beginning, Assange had a, an ego. Oh, yeah. Um, in fact, uh, one of the original founders of Krypton, which is kind of a, a I wouldn't say a I won't say a parent organization of WikiLeaks, but they had some role in the uh, uh, founding of WikiLeaks. A gentleman by the name of, um, I think his last name was Young. I think it's Jonathan Young. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Young said, Assange is a narcissistic individual, and WikiLeaks is, is willing to sacrifice Bradley Manning, uh, that, that was that was Chelsea Manning's name at the time, and anyone else to advance their own interests. Um and so he, he had some pretty damning things to say about WikiLeaks in that it wasn't a journalistic website anymore. It was more about uh, feeding the ego and, and the public persona of Julian Assange. Having said that, uh, Mr. Young then says, comes, you know, he has a strange conspiracy theory into the founders of, or excuse me, the, uh, the financial backers of WikiLeaks. And, and this is kind of funny. You know who he says the, the financial backers of WikiLeaks are? Please. Um, yeah, go ahead. He, he got, he drops two names, Soros and the Cokes. I'm like, seriously? I mean, I, I, I mean, I expected uh, enough to say either Soros or Coke, but it's a weird conspiracy to say both Soros and Coke working together. That is something. Yeah, and, and wait, tell me again, who who actually who said that? The um, it was the, one of the founders of Krypton. Uh, oh, I see. Actually, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, these these conspiracy guys are unbelievable. I was reading. Um, uh, just to say, uh, Daniel uh, Schmidt, I was reading an article from back when where, uh, just to highlight this for the audience, because you and I talked about where the funding comes from, which is sort of given some of the things that happened in 2016. But I, and so, yeah, you and, know, for an organization that preaches transparency, they're not a very transparent organization. Yeah, Schmidt's... And at some point, Julian Assange was trying to talk about his funding, and he gave a, a response saying, oh, I just made a 50,000% uh, profit on Bitcoin. I'm like, bullshit, man. Right. I think we'll show the show. No, it's fine. Schmidt said from the beginning <laughs> that Assange wasn't transparent and he was the money was coming from his bank account. So it makes you wonder if it makes you wonder where that money came from from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and initially, um, you could actually donate and back and back WikiLeaks. Mm-hmm. I, I I personally would did not and would never. But you could like go on their website and just like you would fund, you know, almost almost like you would fund somebody's Patreon page or whatever. Mm-hmm. You could, you know, send five bucks, ten bucks, or whatever to WikiLeaks. A lot of those uh, transfer sites stopped uh, sending money to WikiLeaks, like PayPal and, and, mm-hmm. and, and other functions. Um, and sometimes there were hackers that had their little uh, tips and would like try to, uh, you know, start DDoS attacks on either PayPal or Amazon for shutting down WikiLeaks funding, but they didn't really last long. It's almost like if I could highlight a uh, comparison. Let's say someone hypothetically was a. I don't know, a presidential candidate whose source of funds had run out uh, due to shady business dealings, then you start looking elsewhere. Makes one wonder uh, where you get that money from. Uh, just just something to think about. Um, oh, what? I didn't hear anything. Uh, <laughs> uh, so let's bring it back to WikiLeaks. So you have these two men who are working together. What is the big, what put WikiLeaks on the map, the big splash? Uh, so really, the big splash were the document dumps orchestrated by Chelsea Manning, uh, mm. who then, uh, obviously, Chelsea Manning is, is now a woman, uh, but at the time, Chelsea Manning was Bradley Manning, an army uh, 
private, uh, serving, strange enough, true story, he's, Bradley Manning was in the same division as I was at Fort Drum at the same time. No kidding. Yes. Um, Bradley Manning at the time uh, grew up kind of a troubled household, had some anger problems, uh, but later went into the Army and was a very troubled person. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, the, the gender identity issues. Um, this was at a time when um, you, you really could not be transgender in the military. Um, in fact, this was before Don't Ask, Don't Tell. So, obviously, uh, young Ben Bradley Manning was going through some issues. However, um, and there are some stories that young Bradley Manning was picked on, but there are also uh, you know, reports that there were violent outbursts from Bradley Manning, throwing things, etc. But Bradley Manning was also an intelligence analyst, and his uh, his brigade was very short on trained intelligence analysts. He's one of the only few who had the, the right computer skills. He was naturally gifted with the computer and understood how to uh, use the systems. Um, so they decided to take him to Iraq. Uh, he was deployed to Iraq. Uh, still, the anger issues continued, and at one point he punched his uh, a female officer in the face, and they... Going, yes, and they were going to discharge him. Okay. Wow. So around that time, what, what he did, he, he still had access. So they never pulled his security clearance after that incident, which turned out to be a mistake. He was still allowed to be on duty uh, while they were still processing his discharge paperwork. And so according to uh, his own confession, uh, he started uh, making burning classified information to CD-ROMs and writing in, in black sharpie marker Lady Gaga on them. Wow, that's great. This guy's name was Lady Gaga. Hey, I'm a, I love Gaga. It's great. And, and, then, and, then fun, and then fun fact, one, another one of uh, Julian Assange's celebrity supporters is Lady Gaga. Oh, my, man. I wish she hadn't told me that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But um, So how does young uh, then Private Bradley Manning get caught? Well, um, there's a pretty well-known hacker uh, who used to be on the, the wrong side of the law and then uh, now and then was converted over to serving on the right side of the law, named Adrian Lamo, um, who recently passed away about a year ago. Oh, yeah. He is, he is what you would now call a white hat hacker, um, somebody who may have grown up uh, kind of using hacking skills for bad purposes, gets arrested by law enforcement, then you know, is given an opportunity to use those skills uh, you know, to help organizations protect themselves. Manning contacts him out of the blue. And let me actually go to the chat log. Uh, this, this is literally... The first thing that Bradass87 says to Adrian Lama, one of the most uh, well-known hackers in the entire world, okay? I'm actually reading from the chat logs right now. Hi, how are you? I am an Army intelligence analyst deployed to Eastern Baghdad, pending discharge. If you had unprecedented access to classified networks 14 hours a day, seven days a week for eight months, what would you do? Oh, man. You've got to be kidding me. If you look, I've got the chat logs in front of me. The next response is from Adrian Lamo. Auto reply. I'm tired. Wow. Yeah, not even. Oh, that's like a bot reply. And Manny literally confesses the entire thing to Adrian Lamo. You know, they talk about things that make foreign you know agents turn. Uh, in Manning's case, it seems to be revenge uh, for being chaptered down the military and ego. And, and, and Manning goes on to say, you know, hypothetical question. If you had free reign over classified networks for long periods of time, what would you do? Was Manning doing and that from their private that. computer or from a government computer? Do you know? 
this is this is um so Wired Magazine published these chat logs, um, so they're on my my home computer right now. It, it, oh, by the way, it, it's it's also kind of the Columbus Day weekend in federal government areas, so that that's why. I'm, yeah. I, you know, I, I sort of uh, Manning is an interesting character. I just want to highlight that. I think, like even yeah. with maybe Assange, people are complex and they they do things for different different reasons. I just I've always found Chelsea Manning's story. Some of it was maybe to strike back at the army. Some was maybe a belief that these things were wrong. I I just think that's interesting. Some for all of us to keep in mind. Um, mm-hmm. um, I'll, go- and so I'll go through the, I'll go through the rest of the chat logs because mm-hmm. I mean I mean Manning literally confesses by saying, uh, "quote unquote," let's just say. Someone, emphasis, I know intimately well, has been penetrating U.S. classified networks. Wow. <laughs> so, um, Manny, by Manning's own uh, confession in the chat logs, which are public um, in the public domain, this is what he said. So I'm not going to comment on what may be out there, but I'll talk about what uh, Manning had said about these, uh, mm-hmm. these document dumps. Uh, Manning appeared to be aghast that uh, apparently, according to his own chat log, uh, the U.S. would provide assistance to, to Pakistan of humanitarian aid, and they talk about the humanitarian aid. But Manning believes that the U.S. would also not talk about, you know, the uh, the foreign military sales or or the you know the military assistance the U.S. would give Pakistan, and that's actually not the case. Um, believe it or not, all of these a lot of these programs are carried out with extreme transparency. If the U.S. sends a uh, domestic aid or, you know, humanitarian aid to Pakistan, yes, they may uh, publicize that in, in press releases. Um, but believe it or not, you know, the U.S. also publicizes uh, foreign military sales deals and everything like that. Uh, it, it's not as public, but if you know where to go, uh, I can find it on, like, the Defense Security Cooperation website. And every time there's a major um, foreign military sales deal that's struck, um, I, it's on the website. In fact, I even get a Google alert whenever it happens. Uh, and that's one of the kind of co- common misconceptions we have about secrets these days, in that I, I think Manny was very shocked to find that because uh, you don't know about something doesn't mean it's a secret. Yeah. A lot of the information uh, is actually out there uh, if you just know where to look. Yeah. On the other hand, just to, and I know there's things that you can't comment on. There was one video from that that was, uh, you know, which everybody knows, who listened, which was absolutely shocking. Uh, I'm not, I know you can't really talk about some of this stuff due to policy. Um I don't know if I can, if you're on the show with me. I, I, I'll, say, I'll say one thing about um, just the leaks in general. Yeah. Um, in, in that, I think 20 years from now, there'll be important historical tools. Mm. And this is kind of what I mean by that. Uh, let's say if I wanted to know how many B-17 bombers launched mm. from such and such airbase in England and such and such, such target in Germany mm. on a certain day during the Second World War, I could actually find that because uh, during the Second World War, you had specially trained clerks who would document everything. Um, you know, even though it was a time when people did all of the work you know, on typewriters or, uh, or you know, with pencil and paper, you know, there were no electronic filing systems. Uh, people knew how to keep records. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that's kind of interesting about you know, um, kind of our the way we keep records these days is that you know, whereas during the Second World War, only specially trained clerks could compile records and were trained how to archive these records, any, any idiot can make a PowerPoint slide. Uh, and we expect any idiot to make a PowerPoint slide. Um, I, I know that every time that there's uh, every time there's a flight, every time there's a convoy or anything like that, there's usually like a, a 
damn 30 page PowerPoint presentation mm-hmm. with like risk assessments, maps, all sorts of ridiculous stuff. But no one ever takes the time to kind of like archive all of those things. So the net result is, you know, if I want to know how many con, how many Humvees went out in a convoy uh, in Baghdad just a couple of years ago, I probably could not find that information. So the WikiLeaks video, I mean the um, the the document dump, whatever comes out. Um, what was the public response after that? So the public response, um, again, uh, part of it was that you know the, the shock that there were classified reports, um, and, and again, everybody knows that there there were you know the military kind of keeps classified records of these things, but there really weren't that many new revelations that came out of any of these document dumps. Uh, people had expected that there would be some great secret that which was uh, leaked in the midst of these document dumps and somebody would have to resign or something like that. And nobody did. It, it was just business as usual. I think people were just overwhelmed by the sheer amount of information that was put out mm. there on the internet. Yeah. What's always stood out to me is the video with the Reuters journalists. And I just want to, you know, for the audience that despite the complex, uh, whatever I think about Chelsea Manning, um, I, there's some, it's a horrible thing. That's I'm just going to say that, and then we can move on because I know due to your you can't talk about a lot of stuff. I, I will say that if uh, you want to know more, um, U.S. Central Command actually had the official investigation mm. uh, posted on their their public website. Uh, you know they they they, they place some of these documents that are open for the public to review, and you can actually read more about the incident. Um, I know this came out. I know that I saw it on their website many years ago. I don't know what's happened to it since then, but I mean. There is, you can actually uh, FOIA these documents and, and things like that. So I appreciate that. Yeah, and we're, thank you so much for telling the audience that. That's the, that's fantastic. Um, um, I, I, don't, I don't know where I don't know if it still exists out there, but I, I, um, you know, if you're a concerned citizen, you have concerns about what your government is doing. Um, you know, you, we have these laws in place. Uh, you know, that, which came about in the 1970s to kind of increase transparency in government. You can request uh, certain pieces of information from. The government and, and, and you're encouraged to, to, to ask your government questions and, and you can use these uh, processes uh, you know without having to resort to classified leak dumps actually i'd like to do a quick shout out an unrelated story a quick shout out to garth over at uh, who's the foia officer at cybercom for really being sending me some professional uh, you know i needed something and really professional just great person um so oh. <laughs> yeah yeah really really the people who work for our government uh just I, I just think there's so many great people and they don't get the like yourself who don't get the you know the credit that they should um, okay party on garth <laughs> yeah okay so um, yeah go ahead so this is about 2010 or so uh nanny is arrested uh wikileaks at first obviously they don't want to confirm that nanny is the source obviously because that that's not a you don't want to do that but they're also initially they did not pay a lot of money for manning's legal defense mm. um that that did change after time uh, after some public protest but and, and i don't know if it was uh kind of a legal defense obviously if they're paying money for manning for legal defense that kind of you know damns manning but um mm. they did receive some criticism early on for not providing for his legal defense i um, see however uh, there there is kind of an interesting thing so obviously these documents uh came out against the United States government. So the question later uh, arose, uh, so why does WikiLeaks not take on the Chinese government, the Russian government, et cetera, et cetera? And so th- there are a couple of explanations. And uh, Daniel Domscheit-Berg actually 
provides one of the, the simplest ones. Um, he, he has a couple of explanations, but the simplest one is that Julian Assange speaks no foreign language. He only speaks mm. English. So if you gave him a bunch of Russian documents, he doesn't know what to do with them. So, I mean, there, mm. there, there is that. It, it's a, it was not a large organization with a lot of translators. Um, so there's that. Then this comes, then we get to kind of the second thing um, in that it would it feeds Assange's in- ego to be uh, pursued by the CIA. I mean, obviously, you know, <laughs> every every government has, has skeletons in its closet. You know, the Canadian government probably has skeletons in its closet. But, you know, you're you're not making international headlines if, if Canadian agents are pursuing you all over the world. You are making international headlines if, if the United States and the CIA are pursuing you all over the world. Yeah. Uh, and, and for a while, he kind of portrayed himself as this James Bond villain. In fact, I, I think it's kind of funny. Did you see the James Bond movie Skyfall? Oh, yeah. Great movie. Yeah. Yeah, did the villain in that movie not remind you of Julian Assange with the blonde hair and the the, the hacking skills and things like that? It, it, it sort of reminded me of Julian Assange. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it till now, but you're right. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I think Assange is a, a cult of personality. You wouldn't find a better phrase, and that's what he is. Yes, uh. um, and I think there's there's, there's the, the final one is that you know it's great to be pursued by the United States and. I know that the CIA has done some things in the past, but you are probably not going to get struck by a drone in the middle of a crowded city. If you take on the Russian government, you do stand the, the, the ch- uh, very strong chance of being poisoned in a major city. I mean, I mean, you, we, we've seen what, what the, the Russian government has done to uh, the scripalls. Uh, actually, um, I don't know if you recall this story. It hasn't gotten as much press as I thought it would, but... Uh, did you hear about the poisoning with uh, the North Korean government? Yes. Yeah, I did. I know yes. exactly what um, you're talking about. So it, so for our, our listeners, uh, it was an interesting story. So one of Kim Jong-un's relatives uh, was, um, I think it was, might have been in Singapore, or, or if I'm not mistaken, somewhere in Southeast Asia. Yeah. And a woman uh, on the street wearing a T-shirt that says LOL. Uh, walks up to him and sprays him in the face with an aerosol can. Yeah. And within seconds, this uh, relative Kim Jong Un is dead on the street, uh, being struck with a highly lethal uh, nerve agent. Yeah. And you know, there's a curious photo of this woman wearing, who's a murderer, <laughs> wearing a T-shirt yeah. that says "LOL." Can't make it up. Uh, she, she, didn't, she didn't know what she was doing. She was a, a, on a television show, and this was a prank on some comedy, you know, hidden cameras or something like that. Yeah. So, uh, it, like like we said, um, getting back to the topic, Julian Assange doesn't want to take on the Russian government because, you know, he knows that there could be some serious trouble if he takes them on. And in fact, uh, there is a point in 2010, in October 2010, where he claims to have documents on uh, important Russian nationals. Uh, Shortly after that, an FSB spokesperson, Anonymous, says, we can make WikiLeaks disappear. And and shortly after that, Julian Assange says absolutely nothing else about the Russian government. And then uh, following that, uh, he starts getting a TV show on RT, the, I can't remember, like the Julian Assange show. But he, yeah, that's uh, what they, it was called. They, that, yeah, uh, but they start pandering to, to his massive ego. They give him a platform. Uh, and money. I like to really highlight the money because I think that is a unheralded part of the story. Where does his money come from? <laughs> and again, I, I, I don't know. Maybe somebody does know, but uh, yeah. I personally don't know. But that, that, that is kind of yeah. yeah. Um, and some, some, some WikiLeaks um, uh, kind of associates uh, start doing some things that are in the interest of the Russian government. So, again, we talked about the crazy conspiracy theorists, theorists who are kind of like involved in the whole WikiLeaks uh, circle. 
one of whom is a guy named Israel Shamir. Israel Shamir, it, it, I had no idea that this was actually a thing. Israel Shamir is a Jewish Holocaust denier. No kidding. I, I had no oh, idea man. somebody that, that, that would exist, but he is apparently a Jewish Holocaust denier. Um, yeah. This just goes to show you the people that he likes to hang around with. Um, but uh, wow. apparently uh, Mr. Shamir uh, came into uh, possession of some documents about uh, kind of opposition figures or pro-democracy activists, um, how you want, might want to view them, within the nation of Belarus, uh, which is a uh, former Soviet state, which is, you know, unlike say Estonia, Lithuania, or Latvia, uh, which have joined NATO and are very uh, Western-affiliated. Belarus is very much uh, Russian-affiliated. And so WikiLeaks now starts publishing documents um, on these uh, pro-democracy dissidents, which is kind of a, which kind of turns the table on what WikiLeaks was designed to do. It was designed to, you know, help the little guy, uh, uh, you know, who's being oppressed by some of these governments. Um, so that's kind of how far it has fallen. I think uh, now that it's kind of fallen into the Russian orbit. Let's um, bring it. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say. Um, no, go ahead. What was the last thing you were going to say? Well, and, and um, you know, obviously, since then, obviously, everything has been. Uh, most of the releases have been um, anti-American. Uh, they're, you know, we talk about the relationship between um, Russia and WikiLeaks, um, and this comes out. I've actually got the printed Mueller report in front of me. Um, as we talk about their, their uh, involvement in the 2016 campaign, yeah. there are Twitter DMs which are sent between the WikiLeaks account and the account operated by the persona who was then known as Guccifer 2.0. Uh, and kind of, to kind of go back, um, in June of 2016, um, after it was publicly announced that the DNC was hacked, a persona o- appeared on Twitter calling himself Guccifer 2.0, saying that I'm a Romanian, I hacked the DNC, no, the Russians had nothing to do with it, I'm a Romanian. We now know that that was uh, a front for officers of the GRU. Correct. WikiLeaks started communicating with uh, this Guccifer 2.0. Guccifer 2.0 has uh, his own little website called DC Leaks, but of course WikiLeaks is a much more popular uh, phenomenon, and so uh, there is a communication which goes back and forth. WikiLeaks winds up in possession of these documents and starts uh, releasing them at strategic points during the campaign. Uh, one is before the DNC. There's a document dump, uh, and Assange clear. Excuse me. I should say the person operating the WikiLeaks Twitter account, who is probably Julian Assange, uh, makes it clear that the timing of this was intentional. There is the second uh, release of information, which takes place on the afternoon. I believe it's October seventh of 2016, um, and though so the Mueller report doesn't specifically link it to. This incident, it, it, it's um, it's kind of clear that it was timed to coincide uh, with the Access Hollywood uh, release. Um, obviously, we know what happened there. And then shortly after, maybe an hour after that, uh, Access Hollywood tape comes out. Uh, but that's the emails uh, are leaked. Um, so there is that. And, and, and again, we, we can argue. I don't think anybody will ever settle whether or not these had a role uh, in swaying the election back or forth or anything like that. But I mean. It, it is uh, what WikiLeaks has done in the 2016 campaign. What's actually kind of interesting is that the second question everybody wants to ask is, well, did the Trump campaign collaborate with WikiLeaks for these dumps? And I'm going to go to page 52 of the Mueller report. I've got the printed one right here. I'm impressed Literally. that you printed it. 
Most people have it on. Well, <laughs> I, so, well they have. Uh, if, if you go to, uh, around Washington D.C., this is one that's uh, you know, published by the Washington Post. They bind everything for you, um, so it's a nice little paperback book to carry around. Oh, okay. The most heavily redacted portion of this re- of the Mueller report uh, involves uh, WikiLeaks and the Trump campaign. So I right. have, I, um, and it's all cited hard, ongoing matter. I mean, uh, uh, four or five pages of almost entirely blacked out text. So, you know, it, it's difficult to say what's exactly going on there. Um, it's heavily it's redacted. Yeah, um, I don't have it in front of me, but, but from my, I've read it twice. But my recollection was there was one unredacted part that you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that Trump or someone right under him was informed that more damaging documents were coming. Um, Rick Gates or one of those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it was. And I know that there were some some incriminating. Uh, there were. Uh, uh, there seemed to be some knowledge that WikiLeaks was in possession of documents. Um, there were some ominous tweets, I think, from Roger Stone, yeah. who said, "Next, it will be Podesta's turn in the barrel." Right. So, I mean, th- th- that that does that does not look Let, good. If you're going to do anything incriminating, please don't post it on Twitter, guys. Let, let's bring that back to <laughs> the. Yeah, let's bring that back to kind of the centerpiece of the show. Is that really what is WikiLeaks? Because what we're describing now is not. That's not really. That's something else. Where it's it's becoming a, a quote unquote organization has become involved, not just leaking or posting, but coordinating. That's what we're talking about, and I think that's important. Uh, I, I, I would say um, at least WikiLeaks' Rick's part is definitely inserting itself. And again, it, um, that, that portion of, that portion of the reciprocal arrangement is heavily redacted, so I really can't comment on on that. Of course. I mean, yeah, I mean it, it really has, uh, you know. And a lot of it's due to the personality of Julian Assange. I mean, he is essentially WikiLeaks at this point. He's very. He was very open, also about obviously wanting Donald Trump to be president over Hillary Clinton, who he and, called a sociopath. I, I a, a lot of that stems to. I, I personally think it stems to the uh, release of the State Department cables. Mm, um, yes, obviously she was Secretary of State at the time. He was trying to spread a rumor that she was trying to kill him with a drone at, at some point. I thought that was kind of that's kind of funny. Like, really, you're going to blow up the Ecuadorian embassy or something like that yeah. with a drone? Yeah. Uh, he was trying to get that. Um, you know, you know, he was trying to uh, start that narrative as well. Well, um, I just like to say my own personal feeling um, about WikiLeaks was that when it started, I like a lot of people. I'm a big believer in transparency, and I, uh, you know, with the limited knowledge I had in the first initial. I thought this was a great thing. I admired Assange. And fast forward to now, uh, I it's hard for me to believe that it's the same thing. I'm very I was very disappointed in what what it became and who he who he is that I I now know. I feel like I was missing, you know. I just want to say that. I, uh, I think I think that norms are starting to now catch up with this technology. So, um I'm going to kind of go go to another scandal. Uh so that is completely unrelated to, to WikiLeaks actually. So, you heard about what happened to Jennifer Lawrence and the, and the hacking attempt on her, on her phone, right? Yes. Um, and for our listeners, um, somebody had spearfished uh, Jennifer Lawrence, uh, got access to her phone, and um, they had uncovered some um, nude images of her, and they uh, were going to post them on the Internet. Uh, we've now, I think we as a society have realized that this sort of activity is wrong and, and, and is criminal. Uh and now you're starting to see a lot of laws against the so-called revenge porn and things like that. I think we're starting to develop some norms as as to what information should be protected in private and what information should, uh, you know, be exposed in public. 
2008, somebody uh, had hacked uh, Sarah Palin's Yahoo account. Um, uh, and they didn't find anything. There was nothing incriminating in there. But just imagine, um, you know, even if you're a public figure, uh, you don't deserve to have your personal emails uh, plastered all over the Internet just for fun, unless there's something uh, criminal in there. Uh, I, I think we're starting to... Um, uh, come come some norms with regards to these these mass yeah. document um, it, it, you know in terms of doxing what exactly is it um, we saw another example recently within the um, I think one prominent uh, democratic figure had uh, done some research into their opponents and they found whoever the uh, their large backers were um, even though that information is publicly available um, you have mm. to do some thinking but um, should we expect be exposing every politician's donors in such a fashion so that they could be retaliated against? Um, I, I, I don't know. I have no problem with um, political donations. In my opinion, should all be public, and they and they are for the most well, not not enough, but but uh, you know, Assange is on record saying when they including the names of informants who help our government in Afghanistan and Iraq, and I, I believe you correct me if I'm wrong, but he said he didn't care what happened to them because they're informants. I mean, yeah, he, he said that. I mean, a normal crazy. outlet would, would kind of weigh that. Uh, you know, if, if somebody uh, provides you with information and they fear for their lives, uh, you know, a lot of journalists feel that they would have an obligation to protect that person. Absolutely. Or, you know, to make, they, sure they, they're, yeah. make sure that their reporting does not actually harm a, a human being. Uh, I mean, there's, you know, we could talk a lot about journalistic ethics, but yeah. I mean, you, know, you have to consider the consequences of putting this information out there. And they help our military. I mean, uh, some of these, these people uh, are, yeah. are vital uh, in yeah, those I countries. Mean, um, you know, if, they, if they felt that um, if they wanted to come to somebody, if they felt that somebody was planning a bomb, you know, it encourages them to, to come forward. If they feel that their identity will be protected, that, that no longer exists. Yeah. Uh, diplomacy can't uh, go forward if you publicize a lot of cables uh, because diplomats need that space to exchange information, right? Uh, you need to come to each other with uh, issues. Um, you know, it, it's better to say nasty things in private in the world of diplomacy and then be nice in public than, you know, the other way around. I have a uh, question for you. They, um, yeah. I just want to say, I went on uh, WikiLeaks last night and I, I just curious what you thought about this. I put in a date, a time range. It was 2016 to right before mm -hmm. Trump was inaugurated. So that whole period... And I put in the, the phrase Trump, and I got 20,000 roughly hits. So mm -hmm. a huge amount of stuff. Then I did the same mm -hmm. time frame for after the election till now, and I got yeah. eight. So in other yeah. words, an administration that has um, had more leakers and more scandals, if in most people's mm -hmm. opinion, WikiLeaks has no information. I don't know. That's kind of sort of interesting. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? I, 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 I don't know. I, I haven't looked uh, specifically for that on the web, yeah. but I think that, that, that is kind of interesting. Yeah. I mean, just um, for if well, my reputation was built on, oh, you know, exposing things, it's sort of strange that right after Trump's been elected, there's been no information, but maybe that's just me. Mm -hmm. um, maybe. <laughs> uh, maybe Julian has been a little bit busy. Uh, yeah, that's true. You know, you're right. <laughs> uh, you know, Chris, oh, go ahead, Christmas. I, I would like to kind of conclude on, on something that brings yeah. us back to the topic of whistleblowers, right? Yeah. Uh, in, in, in recent years, we've had two people kind of style themselves as whistleblowers. Obviously, Chelsea Manning has uh, styled herself as a whistleblower. Hmm. Uh, and again, that, that if you look at uh, what she did, uh, she, you know, just dumped 
thousands upon thousands upon thousands of documents on the internet, maybe not really understanding what she was putting out there. Mm. Um, and her motivations, uh, I, I, I doubt the, that she was motivated to be a whistleblower to actually fight wrongdoing. I, I, I personally doubt that. Mm. Um, we also see the example of Edward Snowden, who has portrayed himself as a whistleblower. I think he had. A, I think he understood that the, the what he was leaking uh, more than anybody. But you know, he took the information and he fled to Russia with it, uh, the nation which has the most to benefit from <laughs> you know this sort of document dump. Not only in terms of you know, he, he gave. Well, you know, there's a domestic program, obviously, um, and you know that that is a debate for another time. But I mean. So, you know, and we'll get into Snowden. To be fair to Snowden, though, he did try to go to like 30 other countries first, and they, they, the government <laughs> stopped him. But you and I will do another Snowden show, who I think is a much more fascinating uh, – Just, an, uh, but we'll – anyway, um, go ahead. But yeah, uh, but you know, it, it, the domestic uh, program, and again, mm. that's, that's a debate for another time, that, that mm. was a huge propaganda boom for RT because they could say, um, look at America spying on everybody. Um, we, and, and again, there are, there are various issues with the Russian narrative, but that, that, that was their kind of take on things. The other thing is that he gave them a lot of information about what we could do to our, a lot of information about our foreign surveillance uh, capabilities. And that, that's pretty damning. Um, yeah. You know, to give one of our, our, our chief adversaries so much information on our foreign surveillance techniques. And again, um, we yeah. can talk about his motivations later. I, I, I personally think that he was not motivated by altruistic uh, reasons i think that he was probably I, I personally think he was recruited but who knows um, really snowden you're talking about i i i personally think he was, wow but i mean okay. who, who knows but, um interesting. but uh, you know one of the things i think is interesting so we look at these two people who styled themselves as whistleblowers and now we see uh the news about people within the government who are whistleblowers and it, it'll be interesting to see uh, you know how the story plays out um i have no comment on, on the, the actual uh content of what they are pulling the whistle on but be, maybe we're getting back to the, you know, I think this is very curious, you know, after, a, you know, within this town, people, you know, leak classified information, leak things to the press all the time. It's kind of nice to see people going through the formal process of you know, registering and filing formal complaints, uh, whatever the content of that is, but actually working through the established system that we have, uh, you know, to make their concerns heard. If they think that something is, is wrong, they, they, they feel confident in the system to come forward and have their uh, voices heard. I, I think that's actually kind of refreshing, and I hope that, you know, you know, regardless of what happens, uh, you know, throughout the, the course of whatever uh, it is that they're blowing the whistle on, you know, I hope that more people use the formal procedures uh, of whistleblowing than just simply posting things to WikiLeaks and going to the press. And, and maybe we're reaching that moment. Maybe, maybe we'll see. We'll see. It depends on the. Um, I guess it depends on the retaliation that they, which is the argument against that. That. That uh, for things like WikiLeaks, that when you do do it the right way, uh, your government can destroy you. Just just to say that that's what they would. That's yeah. what Snowden said. But um, what I, I just really my final question: uh, what what do you think the hit, the future of WikiLeaks is going to be? I mean, it, that, that depends on the well, the future of Julian Assange at this point. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't. I mean, because I think that WikiLeaks and, first, and Julian Assange are really one of the same at this point. Mm. Um, it, it, it's not like he has a lot of. Uh, full-time employees when he's working at the Ecuadorian embassy. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think that, that really that those two entities are, are the same at this point. You know, I, I think we're still going to see people uh, posting things on the internet. I think we're still going to see uh, classified document dumps on the internet. It may not be through WikiLeaks, but I think that uh, you know, people were 
uh, posting these sorts of sensitive materials on the internet through Cryptum, which is the kind of a predecessor organization. Um, they're going to be doing it uh, long after WikiLeaks is gone. Let's just hope that uh, our names won't be in any of those dumps. Let's just end on that note. I hope not. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm not Crispin. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Crispin Burke, so great having you on Counterintelligence. And, uh, hey, you know, I really... And let, me, let, me, let me add with this, yes, sir. this important uh, caveat. If you just please, please ensure this gets in the final podcast. Yeah. Uh, my views are my own and not those of the, of the U.S. government. Please that stays in. <laughs> that that stays in. Um, that is not being cut out. Actually, I rarely cut okay. anything on this show. Okay, excellent. It is uh, so great talking to you, and I really hope to do it again soon. Thank you for listening. Follow Forensic News on Twitter at Forensic Newsnet. Counterintelligence is at Intel Pod. My personal account is Eric LeVay. Support Forensic News on Patreon. Subscribe to Counterintelligence everywhere you listen to podcasts. This is Eric LeVay, and this is Counterintelligence.